welcome to the Voice of Family Business on Capitol Hill. It's great to have you with us. With each podcast from Family Enterprise USA, we bring you the latest news, expert opinions, and insights affecting the country's largest employer, the American family business. If you like this series, please remember to subscribe and sign up for the alerts as future shows are posted wherever you download your podcasts. This podcast is sponsored by EY's Family Enterprise Center of Excellence, which supports families to grow more valuable enterprises, bypass disruption, and have successful generational transitions. EY is a platinum sponsor of Family Enterprise USA, demonstrating its commitment to multi-generational family-owned businesses and their legacy. In this episode, we bring you a lively and in-depth discussion with our hosts Pat Soldano and Bobby Stover, partner and EY America's family enterprise and family office leader, and Dave Berg, principal and EY America's cybersecurity leader. They'll address cybersecurity threats and issues affecting generationally owned family businesses across the country and share strategies for preventing cyber attacks. Now, let's listen in on what these experts have to say about preparing for the challenges of cybersecurity. So welcome to today's podcast. I'm Pat Soldano, President of Family Enterprise USA and Policy and Taxation Group. If you don't know who we are, we advocate for generationally owned family businesses and their lifetime of savings at a national level in Washington, D.C. We represent all sizes of business and all industries. Today, I'm very pleased to have with us Bobby Stouffer, who is partner EY America's Family Enterprise and Family Office leader, and Dave Berg who is Principal EY, America's cybersecurity leader. So the topic today, which I think is a very interesting topic, is cybersecurity and what family businesses need to consider when facing this very real threat to their businesses and to their family. Bobby and Dave, it's good to have both of you with me today to talk about this very challenging problem and issue that all family businesses and family offices face. Yeah, thanks for having us, Pat. Glad to be here. And I second that. Thank you, Pat. You're very welcome. So cybersecurity is affecting every family business and every family office and their clients. It seems like attacks come from any time and from anywhere. And then there are considerations think about when tackling this issue from regulation to cybersecurity training to risk management and also strategies to thwart those attacks. So my first question to both of you is this. Your research shows that organizations receive, on average, about 44 significant cyber threats a year. Is this an increase from threats in prior years? And and if so, what's the reason for that increase? Yeah, I'll start off on that one, Pat. And, you know, what's really interesting about your question is that we observe what I will describe as really a U-shaped pattern that traces back to the time when Russia invaded Ukraine. And what I mean by U-shape is that we track and and count the number of cyber intrusions that are detected or are reported or or that take place. What we saw at the time of that Russia-Ukraine conflict commencing is a significant decrease in activity that occurred immediately at the time of the the war's commencement and, and persisted for about eight months or so. What happened after about eight months is this is we started to come out of the bottom of the U and we started to see cyber intrusion attack activity increase substantially. And this has really been sustained for the last, at this point, eight or nine months. And it really looks like the number of cyber attacks are going to increase. You know, what we are concerned about is what appears to be a significant amount of attack activity that's taking place 
And in reality, you know, family offices are are, are excellent targets, given the, the the kind of important business that is orchestrated and undertaken out of family offices, as well as you know all of the the the, the capital and the assets that they control, as well as on the risk side, what we've observed is is generally speaking a less um, sophisticated approach to cyber than what we see in large, complex, sophisticated multinational corporations. So some of our listeners on this call are family business leaders, some are family business members. Um, Is there a difference in cyber threats and strategies for family businesses versus non-family businesses? I think the answer to that question, Pat, and it's a good one, is, is yes and no there shouldn't be a difference in the approach to, to cyber. And that's what Dave just alluded to. Should be approaching it like large multinationals, et cetera. What makes them different is their course and they have multiple entry points into the system. So if you're a family that has multiple businesses and you have a family office and you have real estate and you have multiple homes and you have potentially private aircraft or items like that, you have a lot of entry points into your world that if you are a multinational, we may secure the top executives, but generally we're not looking at, you know, the rank and file when they're at home doing what they're doing. So I think there's a potentially a higher exposure, especially if you're a larger family. And I think brand name, you know, if you're out and people know who you are, that that makes you a target versus somebody who's a little harder to find. So I think really the difference is it just more entry points and at times a lack of focus, as Dave said, across the whole organization and across the family. It's a really good point because family businesses, to your point, they tend to be a little more private, so maybe not so much in the public eye. So to, as a follow-up to that question, so do you see family business adapting maybe faster to the security threats or, or not? I, I actually see them as, Dave and I talk about this all the time, we see them lagging. So Pat, the way I'll describe this, and people may not know this, EY is one of the biggest providers of cyber defense to major corporations. We're the outsourced provider. We're the, the ones that detect the threats, support them. What we find is there's a lack of education because a lot of those big organizations have what's called a chief information security officer, somebody that wakes up every day thinking about this threat. A lot of times in a family organization, you'll hand that to the CFO or the IT person or somebody like that. So it actually say families are lagging and part of it is threat to cost. So if we think of a cyber world, Pat, somebody may get a pen test. Somebody tries to penetrate their system. That's like a thirty dollars to $40,000 exercise. To have cyber monitoring constantly with what's going on and who's trying to penetrate you, that's three dollars to $500,000 a year. And so getting a family to understand what am, why am I doing that and what am I insuring against? Well, it's what you said in your opening remarks. increase in breaches. And generally we're finding in our study, it's taking six months for you to even know somebody was inside your four walls and did something. So you just talked about costs and and that is a real issue that family businesses and non-family businesses face. So there is real costs associated with these strategies. So how much time, effort and investment can it take to fully prepare? And is there kind of a percent of sales or a percent of income that maybe you determine that cost should fall within? Yeah, you know, it, it's another great question, and it's it is a, a little bit harder to answer for for family offices. But let me let me just start with the general rule of thumb that we use um, in EY for for a typical corporate is we would say that 
you know, typically what we see is about 10% of what is spent on IT funding overall is directed towards building and sustaining and really running a cybersecurity program. And that's actually, you know, that's a very effective and simple rule of thumb that we use very often. It is much harder to apply that type of rule of thumb to a family office. So what we do recommend really are two key uh, elements here. I mean, number one is it is critical to uh, assess, uh, you know, generally speaking, independently assess cyber, the, the family office cyber program, the, the associated or the attendant risks of that, of the operation of the family office and the, and the effectiveness of the cyber program in order to number two, develop plans to reduce specific risks as quickly as is possible or as practicable. And I think another part of that number two is that this isn't a one-time process. We are we recommend that this level of, of investment is ongoing, continuously, essentially forever. It is very much like fitness or exercise. It must happen really always. And so that level of, of, of effort really should continue on a go-forward basis. So we've talked about the threats, we've talked about the strategies that families can employ, and we talked about the cost. So Bobby, can you give us maybe a real life example of a family that maybe didn't invest or didn't didn't employ some of these cyber strategies that they should have? Yeah, so keeping the, and, and Dave deals with a lot more cyber threats, but what, what I would say is, I think people also need to educate themselves on what the threats are, Pat. So people thought generally of cyber, Somebody's going to get into my system and I'm going to wire money outside my system. It is much broader than that now in that there are a lot more damage I can do if I can stay inside your four walls, gain competitive intelligence, know what kind of deals you're doing, use misinformation or disinformation with regard to that. So I, I think that's the, the biggest one is we, we've had lots of those and won't go into too much detail just because, you know, trying to keep the innocent innocent. And then the other one that's probably the most scary for family businesses, families do take vacations, they do go places. The sophistication, uh, and we're going to get into this AI, but to know where people are at. So if somebody now, the threat to steal data and or ransom for somebody, somebody goes to Mexico on a vacation, post a picture, they know you're there. You're going out on an excursion where your phone is not going to be with you because you're scuba diving or whatever. They're sophisticated enough to put that together. And while you're out in the way, come in and make a, a ransom request to the family saying they've kidnapped you or taken you. And there is no way to get in, in touch with somebody. So we've seen that a lot um, in family business, especially on vacation or when they're out enjoying themselves. And the sophistication of the cyber criminal who's monitoring all of this that's going on so that they can opportunistically decide when to try to attack the family enterprise for a gain or monetary gain. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. So so let's talk about these threats. Dave, where are these threats coming from? Bobby knows from the presentations that he and I give uh, oftentimes together, I, I will typically put up a, a slide which has a map of the world. And what it will show are the number of, say, ransomware attacks that are taking place uh, by country all around the world. And what's interesting is that essentially, really the entire map is lit up. Um, there, there, and so the cyber intrusion, I mean, if there's a misnomer that it's happening mostly in the United States, I mean, that is just it. It's a misnomer. 
The attacks are happening uh, really all over the world, uh, increasingly uh, even in uh, in developed uh, economies. The threat actors are extremely good at what they do. They are able to uh, to go to go where the money is, and um, the threat actors also they use systems that they compromise that are located all around the world. So, you know, Pat, in your question, where are these threats coming from? Um, you know, they're coming from specific, sophisticated, organized, uh, really organized uh, attack syndicates that are spread all around the world. They're targeting uh, family offices and companies all over the world, and they're using um, infrastructure that's located all over the world. So, Pat, they're really coming from essentially everywhere. So what if there is a breach? And what are the first steps that a family business, a family office should take when that breach happens? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would strongly encourage the audience that's listening to this to think of a response to a cyber intrusion as being a business process that has to be very well uh, prepared for, planned for. You know, one way to think of it perhaps is when when preparing for a board meeting, there's an enormous amount of rigor that goes into the preparation process and likely even rehearsing content before the content is delivered in the board meeting. A cyber intrusion response needs to be conducted in a similar way. This cannot be ad hoc. You cannot just show up and try to and, and try to figure it out. And so it's very important to um, not only have you know a plan and a playbook, but to to rehearse it. And so what this means is that really all of the key functional leaders in the family office need to work and have a plan to communicate with senior stakeholders to be able to to understand what transpired as quickly as possible and then start to communicate uh, externally. That communication piece is even more critical for those uh, that are listening that are, who are public registrants because in December of, of 23, so just, just last month, the SEC put into place disclosure rules that are, are, are very specific about disclosing material cyber intrusions really as quickly as possible. And they're calling for it to happen within in four, four days. Um, so uh, this, this cannot be an ad hoc process. This must be a rigorous, well-practiced, well-rehearsed exercise so that when the event uh, takes place, um, the team knows what to do. Yeah, the, Pat, I would drive this home. It's the 20 year, I think it's the 20 year anniversary of, of Miracle on the Hudson, Sully and the aircraft. When we talk about this, I often say to people, what happened when the bird strike happened? What did the co-pilot do? Nobody remembers what the co-pilot did in the movie. They all focused on Sully and the radio. The co-pilot reached over, grabbed a book, and if you listen to the radio, he was going through all the checks and things that they were supposed to do with a bird strike. So what Dave is saying is you have to have that manual. Your chance of recovery without that is very low. So thinking about, I'm going to identify it. I need to be able to respond at quick, quickly and speed, and I need to be, re be able to recover fast. So that's what that, that book. So if I could leave an image, you need to have that book and have done your training that you're going to pull it out and know how to land that aircraft. Yeah, that's excellent advice. So, so, so very important. Well, the biggest concern that I think a lot of family businesses have is this cyber extortion, which is very, very scary. Um, this threat seems to be more normalized in the workplace and it's growing. And I'm part of a women's group of family business owners, about 10, and two of them already have been subject of cyber extortion. 
And I don't know if that's a low percent or a high percent. So it's really out there and more common than I think people realize. So how worried should we be about it? Yeah, I mean, look, it, it is a it's a big problem. And it's a big problem because the cyber threat actors, uh, they're very, very good at what they do. And, and one of the things that they're very good at is not only getting into an environment, but they're really good at finding uh, very quickly the things of value, including sensitive uh, types of data, documents, images, information, plans, you know, et cetera. And so what, what, what is happening now, which is concerning on the cyber extortion side, is that we have a combination of pressures that are being applied to victims, where in the past, what we saw was, was simply the uh, ransomware threat. It was basically, we're going we're gonna to take your systems down unless you pay us. Now it's, okay, we're going to take your systems down. We're also going to expose sensitive information that we've discovered uh, we're going to monetize the, the the theft of that uh, sensitive information in order to extract uh, you know value uh, from the victim by putting this kind of double barrel level of pressure uh, on on our uh, on the victim. So um, you know it's you know unfortunately what what I'm sharing with you today is that that a bad problem is in fact getting worse, and cyber extortion is in fact something that a family office. Uh, operation should be very concerned about. And it, it actually even ties into what, what Bobby and I were just talking about in terms of preparing. I mean, that's got to be part of the simulation, uh, the tabletop exercise. You really have to think about, you know, what, what, you know, how do you deal with certain kinds of risk scenarios that may manifest, including very sensitive uh, or proprietary information being revealed or sold uh, in, in, in various kinds of uh on uh, markets. And Pat, on that, to follow up, think of it the way we used to think of data. If you thought of your old server room, everything sat on a server in folders. We kind of put permissions around it to wall it off, but it was all in one place. Once I breached it, I could get to it. So Dave often talks about the really sensitive secure data. Should that be in a different place than all the other data? Right now in the world, everything's still kind of co-mingled as we figure out the cloud and we figure out where to put things, we, we haven't really separated highly sensitive, highly private from other data. So the co-mingling also causes exposure here for what Dave's saying on this extortion. And, and to that point, there's so many ways that this the cyber attacks can happen. And both of you have talked a little bit about this already, but can you tell us how businesses can help prevent those attacks in the first place? Or is it even possible to, to stop it? Yeah, Pat. I mean, I would I would refer back to my uh, a previous answer to to a question just surrounding actually spending consistently on cyber security programs, uh, assessing the status quo, understanding where technology and security risks uh, issues are, and then uh, expending effort to try to draw down those risks, improve security controls over time. The third element that's that's very important here, and, and Bobby, uh, I think just just referred to it a few a, a few moments ago. It's it's the, the other strategy that can be employed is thinking about how you understand um, the the criticality of certain kinds of systems or information. Not all data is equal. Not all applications or processes or our systems are, are, are equal. I mean, there are things that are of greater criticality or are worth more. And those things that are worth more 
should have a more uh, robust type of security controls and or monitoring uh, in place to control access or detect uh, inappropriate access to that information. One of the other um, you know elements that I think is important here is to you know think about um, using security services firms, managed security services firms that do this kind of thing every day uh, to make it uh, you know to take the you know the burden and the responsibility of running a security program maybe off of the family office. And I think the other thing that that is important is simplicity. And what I mean is. Uh, trying to reduce the, the the amount of complexity in the kinds of technologies that are used to make it easier for maybe it's a managed um, security services company or even if it's the family office itself, make it easier to be able to monitor the environment uh, or improve uh, the environment if there is a vulnerability that is detected to you know patch or replace or or, or deal with that vulnerability. You know, as fast as possible. So there really are there are many things um, that that can be done, and they and and these things can prevent or stop an adversary because if the adversary assesses a family office and finds stronger security controls in place, they may move on to the next family office that doesn't manifest that kind of uh, rigor or or capability. So expand on that a little bit because you you, you just talked about this. Are there any internal structures that maybe you can set up to make sure your client's data or your family's data is safe? Um, and I realize this may be different depending on the size of the business, uh, how public the business is, you know, the, the industry that it's involved in, high risk, low risk. But can you um, get in a little so more I detail think, on maybe some of these internal structures? I, I think the biggest thing we see with family business or family office, the family component the family members are resistant to coming inside the four walls of security because it's not convenient. They have, you know, if I have to do dual authentication, if I have to have a crypto key, if I have to have that. So, so the family members and them wanting what they want when they want it is one big impediment to the organization. So educating your family and, and asking them to come inside the four walls to, to be secure. The second thing, Pat, I would say is large organizations have an enterprise risk management team that focuses just on enterprise risk. Even upper middle market companies we've seen don't have that capability or they have not put that in place. And folks will ask, well, that's expensive. Should I do that? So it alludes to standing up people that are inside your four walls that will think about risk, cyber being one of them. And then number two, look to your digital partners, the people that are around you that are investing in cyber that can support you, your financial institutions, your banks, your professional services providers who are doing this. And then really look for somebody who's industrial in terms of doing the cyber monitoring. Having one guy inside your four walls that's as smart as all these criminals probably isn't going to happen. Dave's got an army of guys and tons of AI and things that he's using every day for somebody that we're protecting to try to predict the future of where somebody's going to attack. So before we get into AI, and I do want to get into that, you both know that Family Enterprise USA works in D.C. at a national level. As I said earlier, we work with members of Congress every day, all day long, trying to get them to understand how important family businesses are to this country, to the economy, to families in their community. Um, so I have to ask, is there any regulations or legislation that you see or policies that you see could be implemented by our Congress that could help, 
you know, prevent some of this cyber crime or curtail some of the cyber crime or or help it in any way? Yeah, well, listen, I mean, I, I think, you know, a lot of business leaders, uh, it doesn't really matter what size uh, business or, or what type of business you're talking about, they cannot stand regulation. I will take kind of a contrarian view when it comes to cyber to say, I actually think regulation is incredibly important in order to make uh, progress, sustained progress. So I talked earlier about the new SEC cyber rules. I think those are really important. I mean, we at ENY think they're really important to force much more transparency to the investing public to be able to understand uh, cyber intrusions, what, what kind of intrusion occurred, uh, the impact in, in as close uh, a period of time to the intrusion being detected as, as is possible in order to enable the investing public to be able to make more informed investment decisions. So, you know, we think that those that kind of rule setting is really important. Uh, it goes beyond just the disclosure to looking to ensure that there's the right kind of governance over the cybersecurity program. And, and we think that's really important. The other you know, area that I would point to that I respect deeply is in the banking industry. I think that the banking industry does a tremendous job of putting pressure on banks by performing uh, what are called these horizontal examinations, where they look very carefully at the function and performance of component parts of security programs and then compare them, uh, compare one bank to another. And what they're able to do is they know what good looks like. And they then force all of the large banks in the United States, for example, to meet a much higher bar. So, you know, when it comes to enacting more, uh, you know, policy or, or regulation, I, th I think that that, uh, that that banking regulator model is, is, is a tremendous model that, um, you know, perhaps should, should, should be pushed more broadly into other other industries, including you know potentially even into uh, into into uh, to to affect family offices. Before we conclude, we should talk about AI. As I just mentioned, Bobby mentioned it. So, can I, AI really be something that can help us with these cyber attacks, or is it just going to make things more complicated? Yeah, I mean, I'll start, and then you know, Bobby, feel free to add in. Like, I, I think when you, when we're talking about AI, first of all, it is the you know key buzzword that businesses uh, are talking about, um, and it's important to talk about because it's very powerful. You know, in reality, there are benefits to both the attacker that what we've been talking about, as well as well as well as the defender. So, the in this for the context of this conversation, the the, the family office is the defender. I think in the short term, what we're going to see are more benefit to the attacker. And we're actually seeing it happening right now. Part of the increase in the uh, the cyber attack activity that I talked about earlier in this podcast, one of the things that we know that the threat actors are doing is they're able to use various kinds of AI technologies to assimilate information, to make them more effective uh, in what is called social engineering. They're basically calling increasingly help desks and they're 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 tricking the help desk operator to maybe reset a password uh, or send a um, send a one-time use password to to a cell phone in order to be able to compromise an account and then uh, perform their cyber attack activity I think we're also seeing uh, cyber threat actors using various kinds of AI technologies just to um, make more automated many of the labor intensive kind of scanning, and risk assessment and analysis work that they perform. 
these individuals are, as I said earlier, they're very smart, they're very good, and they're they're great at adopting new technologies. What we're also seeing, though, on the defender side is that, and even you know, we're we're employing these techniques extensively, where we run cybersecurity programs, is using more and more AI to help us be able to see things within massive amounts of information uh, that we otherwise wouldn't be able to see. And I think that what's going to happen over time is there will be more and more adoption, more and more efficiency on the defender side, which is which is really really important. We're still, you know, in the early stages of adoption. I think really the good news is that there's a lot of investment and a lot of energy being uh, being placed into this space. I actually think we are going to see far better security capability because of AI in the mid to long term. But you know, kind of to circle back to the negative part of this, in the short term, this is making the cyber intrusion problem uh, worse, and it could be one of the factors. That is, in fact, driving up the number of events that we, that we are seeing and that we have really seen over the last, call it seven, seven to nine months. Yeah, and I, th- I think, Pat, go cautiously here. So you have to have a greater awareness and you have to have a suspicion now. Like my phone's better at, at saying that's a, that's a spoofing text or that email, right? Microsoft, they, my junk email is fuller now than it probably ever has been. But it's that awareness of, as a human, and because we're on all these apps and stuff, we want to click and touch and do without just pausing. I can't tell you the number of emails I've gotten from the U.S. Postal Service saying I have a package that hasn't been delivered, and I, and I know they don't do that. But it is really good when I look at this email, and I'm highly aware of it. Um, so it's just that you don't have to go that fast, <laughs> um, is what I would say. And with AI, things are going to look better and better. And so you slowing down, I've, I've never met anybody that went slow, that verified, that checked, that had the same kind of event. Most of the events happen because it's quick and fast and you're not paying attention. Exactly. Exactly. Well, this has been fascinating. My final question for both of you really is uh, for the listeners on this call, if you could give them any action steps that maybe they should take to help protect their businesses and their families. Uh, against cyber threats? Yeah, so I'll go first and I'll let Dave. So number one is, and everybody says this and then folks don't do it. So is making a priority, put that risk officer in place, get with your partners and create that day one ready manual and get through those tabletop exercises with your key people so that you can identify, respond and recover and communicate. And I I can't tell you the number of times I speak across the country, Pat, to family offices and family businesses that are upper middle market. And I go, who has that? And there's not a single hand that goes up in the room. That that's just that's table stakes. And that's just shocking to me. Dave can say it's not hard to do to, to start to get that in place, but it's just we're so busy running our companies and doing everything else. That's something that I think if if I had one thing to take away, it would be that. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll just add. I mean, I think think you know beyond my previous uh, admonitions, I think it's actually important to be suspicious. Um, I, I think you you have to operate in a state of distrust. If you receive an email, a text doesn't seem quite right. I, I think you 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 should be very careful uh, in the way that you handle that. I think the second thing I would advocate is, it, and it goes along with you know Bobby's uh, comment to prepare is. To line up the the incident response firm that that uh, you know have a retainer in place, 
so that you don't need to work through kind of, you know, trying to find, scramble and find your partner. You, you've got them ready, you know their number, you know their contact, and then they're, you're able to add them to your team uh, when you need to in a crisis situation. Well, thank you, both of you, for being on this call. Bobby, Dave, I know that our listeners gained a lot of value and great suggestions, and I hope all of them do as you recommended, which first and foremost is get a plan put in place. So once again, it was a pleasure having you on this call today. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pat. Have a great day. Take care. We hope you liked today's show, and if you did, please subscribe to our podcast, where each episode discusses the critical issues affecting generationally owned family businesses around the country. You can find this podcast wherever you download your podcast. Until next time, thank you for listening. This podcast is sponsored by EY's Family Enterprise Center of Excellence, which supports families to grow more valuable enterprises, bypass disruption, and have successful generational transitions. EY is a platinum sponsor of Family Enterprise USA, demonstrating its commitment to multi-generational family-owned businesses and their legacy. We look forward to having you listen in next time.